not know it, you may not sense it, but I do. You know that you're shaping the entire world of college football coverage the way you always wanted to. I remember being a young JP, and I would watch the way games were broadcast, and I would certainly listen to the way it was talked about in random studios 2,000 miles away from me, and I would think, I wish it was done this way. But that was it. You don't really have control over it. At least you don't in 1997, but in 2023, you do. Whole new world. And I just want to tell you without outright telling you, last week when we were at Media Days, there were a lot of people there having a lot of conversations. I hope I've been specific enough. And the conversations center around, we can't afford to do it the way we've always done it, because the way we used to do it included us being able to take traffic and audience patterns for granted. And now they've got so many options, and they've got, oh, you know, things like the internet, and so they can choose where they want to go. Um, trust me when I tell you, it may not seem like it's happening overnight. You are shaping, we, because I think right along with you, actually, that's why we do the show the way we do. We are shaping the way the sport is actually covered and talked about every single year. It shifts more and more that direction. So happy to be a small part of it. Appreciate you guys being a large part of it. We are live, high atop a sun-drenched downtown Nashville, Tennessee at Sunday, July 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2023. Do a lot of people seem confused to you right now? maybe in your life, maybe in college football. I think there's some confusion out there. I think we've got a mild disease that we need to talk about, maybe even treat on tonight's show. I've got what-ifs and bold predictions. I've got a deep dive on Mike Norvell. I've got South Carolina Spotlight, all that. And we're headed to Big Ten Media Days in about 48 hours. They're watching us in Canton, North Carolina, Champaign, Illinois, Houston, Texas, Troy, Michigan. Some of you may have noticed there was no countdown clock if you're watching the live show. That's because the countdown clock has become the bane of our existence when it comes to processing it off after the live show ends. Thank you, YouTube. And so instead, we're not going to have a countdown clock. We are just going to go live when we say we're going to go live, and you got to take us at our word. Let's dive into the show tonight. Hey, paper pop for producer Bradley. Hopefully this thing doesn't crash and burn spectacularly into a mountainside. College football's kind of got a fog right now. You've all driven through it. It's where you can't see five feet in front of you. Use the low beams, kids, by the way. Use the low beams when it's foggy outside. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but just trust Uncle JP on this. I think I've stumbled upon a hidden disease in college football. And that disease is a lot of people worrying about a lot of things that they actually don't care about. Imagine that. Now, I know this sounds like it could very well correlate with a lot of things that go on in the world. And it could. But this is not a political show. It's not a any other thing show. It's just a college football show. However, you can rinse, repeat. You can take this and apply it wherever you want to. Do you find yourself worrying about a lot of things that at the end of the day, if you did a self-inventory of your mind, don't matter. They don't affect you. They don't impact you. I think we're doing that in college football a little bit. So I'm talking to one of ours at the gym the other day, Pate State alumni. And uh, this Pate State alum said, man, I, I don't know. I love the show. Like I watched the show, but I love the games in the fall too, but I just, man, ooh, sport's not in a good place, is it? I said, interesting. Continue. So pull out the post-its, writing down for a future segment, and he gave me one. He absolutely did. This was about a 20-minute conversation, but it boiled down to, I don't love where NIL is. This whole NIL Congress thing, it's making me nervous. A lot of you have seen those headlines. You haven't really heard it talked about on this show because it's boring to me, but it's out there. And so at least one of you cares about it. And you didn't like the NIL Congress stuff. That's a mess. That was his exact word, a mess. And I said, all right, what else? And he said, well, the NIL thing's going to lead to players 
making big money and players in college football making big money, that could ruin locker rooms, man. And I said, okay, you know, I'm working on not interrupting people, by the way, and working with some other people in my life on the same thing. And so I let him continue. And he said, the transfer portal has just eroded away loyalty. Loyalty used to mean something. You committed somewhere, you played all four or five years, whatever the case may be. And now it's just guys are free agents every single year. And that was about it. It was those three things. And so here's what I'm going to ask, because I think a lot of you may have nodded your head on the surface. You may have agreed with one, two, or all three of his points. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying I haven't thought those things look hand over heart. So I must be, I must be honest right now. I'm not saying I've never thought those things. I'm not asking you that tonight. I'm asking you, do you really care? Or in other words, are you sure what you think matters to you actually matters to you? I had to do a little look in the mirror myself about this, so I'd say about two years ago, and I realized I was a fraud. I was claiming things were a big deal to me, and they really weren't that big a deal to me. Now, we do the whole drill all the time of, hey, put yourself in the position of a fan in a stadium on a Saturday, mid-third quarter, clock's winding down, you know the whole drill I do a lot, and bam, hit the pause button. Is any of that stuff in your mind? And the answer is most of the time no, and so then... I surmise, well, it must not matter all that much to you if you still got college football the way you want it. But that's a very simple-minded way of looking at it, I'll admit. So I want to dive into it a little bit here. Let's first go to the NIL thing, the NIL Congress thing. I promise this is not going to be a segment on this. I'm going to take like a minute and a half on it. Yes, it's all over the news. Yes, it's in a lot of headlines. Um, I would suggest to you that the NIL Congress thing right now is in the headlines uh, because a lot of folks, oh man, this is going to sound bad. There's some good coverage being done of this story, okay? And I would love to leave it to the capable hands of those actually equipped to cover that story, and that would be fine. There's this entire orbit, though, of other people who cover college football who really don't know a lot about football. And so when this gets plopped in their lap, they prey on it. They love it. They love it for the same reason they love storylines. They love it for the same reason they love scandal. Because those things make sense to them a lot more than the inside trap does. And so I think that has polluted a lot of the airwaves, so to speak, with a whole lot of talk about this story. And it may have fooled you into thinking it's impacting you. It's not impacting you. It's not impacting me. Now, it's impacting someone the same way that like river flooding in Mogadishu may be impacting someone right now. And it's not to be laughed at, but at the same time, my drive home tonight is going to be fine. Because I don't live there. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was beautifully sunny today. So it would be foolish for me to worry about that. Just as if you're a Troy Trojans fan, it would be very foolish for you to be thinking about how much you can't wait for this season to get here. <sighs> but it's a little tempered this year. My excitement has waned a touch because, well, Jeff, well, Bob, well, Steve, <sighs> you know, is Congress going to come through on an NIL bill? Who cares? Who not you. You shouldn't care right now. At least if you're not in the room, you shouldn't care. Um, the other thing I ask a lot of times to myself is if I didn't already know that story and I just exposed myself to the sport on Saturdays, could I even tell? Like, could you even tell there's a battle going on between a lot of powers that be that you'll never meet and you don't know the names of and Congress as well about trying to get uh, federal antitrust legislation in college football? I just think it's dumb to worry about, okay? That's what I'm telling you. In a very, that's the most educated way I could put it. It's kind of dumb to worry about. I didn't tell him that because it's not very smart to call people dumb in the middle of the gym. 
But leave it to the words of Meemaw to sum up my thoughts on this. Not all problems are problems for all. Mm, beautiful. Meemaw always said it better than I ever could. Then we get around to this whole players making money is going to ruin the fabric and integrity of the locker room. Now, I, I dismiss this one a little bit. I will be real on this. I dismiss this a little bit the first time this argument came around. I thought it was overblown. I thought it was sort of the thing that people were going to anecdotally pick out examples of to bolster an argument if they were against players making money. And I could do that for anything. I mean, I could just as easily show, I could, trust me, I could show you a ton of examples of players doing very good things with the money they make through NIL and impacting a lot more lives than just themselves. So we could wage that little mini war all we wanted to. But I will say, if you believe that, if you think players making significant NIL money because of NIL being available to them, you know, if you think players making significant NIL money really is eroding away the integrity of the locker room and the sport, just give me specific examples. I don't mean even, hey, this happened at LSU that you didn't know about. This happened at Oklahoma State. I just mean generally, give me specific examples. How specifically is that mechanism going to do that? Because I think the exact opposite is true, for the record. I think I never kept my room clean when I was growing up, for example. But then I worked construction. And I kept the work site spotless. Number one, because I knew the quicker we cleaned it up, the quicker we could go home. And number two, I knew my paycheck depended on it. Uh, that's happening in college football. When you have real money on the line, if I, Pate State Construction, sign tight end Colin to an NIL deal, you know what it's contingent on? Performance. You know what it's contingent on? Him staying out of trouble. You know what Colin's motivated to do? Perform and stay out of trouble. You know, the only thing that really matters to you as a fan for most of these kids you'll never meet, them performing and them staying out of trouble. Where's the rub? Like, where's the downside to that? I keep asking that to this small but dedicated group of folks who claim to me that NIL is going to rip locker rooms to shreds, and I don't ever doubt it could happen on a case-by-case basis. We just had Lane Kiffin on the show Thursday, and he said, yes, sometimes guys work to the NFL to get life-changing money, but now a small percentage of guys are getting life-changing money in college, sometimes that can inject ego, and sometimes that's something that you wouldn't have had to deal with as a college coach that you now do. Deal with it. Like, deal with it. He's not quitting his job tomorrow, nor any other, these other guys. You deal with it. But by and large, the NIL money is all tied to performance, keeping your nose clean, keeping your head on straight. That's what you want players to do anyway. And that's what best serves and benefits the locker room anyway. No one wants bad citizens to be representing their branding. And if you're going to tell me, well, Josh, that's the true spirit of NIL you're talking about. But we all know in real life, NIL is just pay for play. It's the same thing, guys. Long term, if you keep paying bad and damaged assets to play football for you, you're going to suck and your staff's going to get fired. You're going to run out of money because believe it or not, there is a finite amount of it. And so the best ones out there, the ones that are operating at a high level, the ones that keep winning, are going to keep winning because they allocate funds to worthy assets. Now, I know it seems a little gross to be talking about a player and using words like asset, but we try and be real. I mean, it's, it's after eight o'clock on the East Coast. The kids, the kids have largely either started to go to bed or are already in bed, so we can be real about this. So I think it's a non-issue there. And even then, man, even if I did, at the end of the day, hate the idea that those kids are making that money, I think it's a little... A little dirty to think that way. But if you do, could you tell the difference? 
I ask again. You don't see what car they show up to the team facility in. You're just watching, either from your seat in the stadium or from your seat on the couch. Can you tell one bit of difference when it's third and two in the middle of the third quarter? No, you can't. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. And thirdly, this one, there's more legitimacy to. I've just gotten over it myself. I want to see where you guys are on this. Uh, There is the whole transfer portal has ruined the concept of loyalty to a team. I know some of you are rolling your eyes already because you never believe this. I am one of the more, I am one of the more doe-eyed, big-hearted, traditionalist, idealistic fans that did used to feel this way. You have to forgive us, okay? Some of us viewed college football more through like a, a Disney, Bernstein Bear type lens. It was like utopian to us. Then you see behind the curtain and you realize, oh, these are real people with real problems and real flaws. But yeah, once upon a time. I watched college football because I knew the, pl- excuse me, I thought the players didn't get paid and there was loyalty to the brand. They're committing to that school. That school didn't draft them. They chose that school and they go there, blood, sweat, tears, three, four, five years because they love Oklahoma, because they love Illinois. I don't want to shortchange these guys because I'm around them a lot. Uh, a lot of them do feel that way about that brand. And if, if you play for several of them, then to me, that used to be, something that was a non-starter for me. I Look, I'm all... I'll put it in words that are familiar to those of you who have watched The Office. I'm all about loyalty, okay? If there was somewhere, though, that valued loyalty more, I'm going wherever they value loyalty the most. And that's the attitude I think a lot of players have. And that's the attitude Dwight Schrute had back in the day. I used to care about this. I just don't as much anymore. I candidly think a lot of you have stopped caring about it, only because the shock factor has worn off. When you first saw the portal open up, yeah, it was, it was a stunner to the senses, and maybe it still is, and it's not that I love it. I would certainly prefer for guys to stay put, even if they have the option. I'm all about them having the option. I would just love for them to stay put, because in a perfect world, you don't want to leave South Carolina. You don't want to leave Virginia Tech. Everything's going good, blah, 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 but that's not the real world. And so I always thought the coaches can move, why can't players move argument was kind of dumb. So I actually don't ever use that argument. I think players should be able to move around just because they should be able to move around, regardless of what coaches can or can't do, because it's an apples to bowling ball comparison. So are you worried about these things still? I guess if you are, let me know, and I'll try and work with you in the comments individually. I just think that this game is being played at an insanely high level right now. Like, there's so much to be excited about. And as for the normal fan, which is us, there's not very much to worry about. Uh, if, you, if you guys think that they're not going to get that NIL stuff figured out, if you don't think they're going to get potential revenue sharing or employment status figured out, you're crazy. There is way too much money on the line to allow that to get screwed up. In other words, to allow it to ultimately cost them major paydays. It's just not going to happen. Conference realignment, you know, I don't, I don't like it now. I've talked to you about that before. And I didn't talk about conference realignment tonight. You know, there's some chatter out there about maybe there being a certain threshold that you can't go past. Monopolistic in nature, in other words. So just because it seems like it's a runaway train, and trust me, I've been around a few of them, just because it seems like a runaway train doesn't always mean it's a runaway train. And sometimes trains are fun to be on even if they look a little out of control. And thirdly, and finally, I'm kind of glad sometimes we have a little crazy in the room. I know structure is wonderful and all in your personal life, 
But every now and then in my sporting existence, I love not being able to see around the corner. I saw an article that was back in like 2019. I can't remember which publication had this out. And it was where they did a kind of a round table and they gathered a lot of their writers. It may have been at The Athletic. I think it was. And they gathered their writers and they were trying to predict what the sport will look like in five years. And it was terrible because no one had the skill to predict even 24 months down the road. I mean, Greg Sankey was talking about how, oh, expansion's done. They announced OU in Texas like a year and a half later. So I don't need to have it all figured out. Just, just give me those Saturdays in the fall. You know, it doesn't take much to please me. Immunity. All right, next up, what if time? Bradley, I thought that was a pretty good segment. So, so far, so good, but you're not out of the woods, not by a long shot. What ifs? We're on chapter 14 of this tonight. It's been a very fun and I think a very rewarding game because it lets us talk about all the hypotheticals without actually attaching our predictions to any of them. Here's one, just for good measure to start off tonight. Uh, Hugh Freeze is at Auburn now, for those of you who have been in the woods. And Bobby Petrino, if you've been in the woods, this is really going to blow your mind. Bobby Petrino is the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M now. Well, Ryan hit us up and he said, what if the new heels of the SEC, Hugh Freeze and Bobby Petrino, are highly successful in year one of their current roles? Heels just means a bad guy for those of you who are unwashed in the terminology of professional wrestling. Uh, I know he said Hugh Freeze and Bobby Petrino, but really this is ultimately a Hugh Freeze, Jimbo Fisher thing. Uh, because I mean, that's who's going to get credit if Bobby Petrino's experiment out there works out. So if Auburn succeeds with an over-under win total of seven, does that mean they won seven games? Does it mean they won eight games? Uh, are we even talking just about this year? I'm going to, for the sake of argument, say, let's talk about this year. Well, if they're finishing north of seven wins, you've got the immediate follow-up question. Who did it come, excuse me, whomst did it come at the expense of? Who'd they upset? They play each other in week four, by the way, so it's a mathematical certainty someone's going to lose that day. I mean, did Auburn clip Georgia in week five, Georgia's first big road game? Who knows? Uh, did they take old, they got a bye week before they go to LSU, so did they take LSU down? Like, there's got to be some, some landmark signature upset if Hugh Freeze is to just pop on the national radar this year. And as for Bobby Petrino, like I said, his success will ultimately be credited to Jimbo Fisher, which I got no problem with. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian's credit got attributed to Nick Saban a couple of years ago, and he had one of the best years a coordinator's ever had. So um, casuals will walk away saying that I predicted Petrino to be the next Sark. I will say this. I got no problem with heels in college football. I'm not going to try and convince you to like either one of these guys. For all you know, I don't even like them. Or maybe I do. I would not like to commit on the record with either side of that tonight. But I will say if they succeed... Someone's got to take the L's in the SEC West because they're both in the same division. And that could shake up far more than just Auburn and Texas A&M is my point. So the whole what if here, I know it's centered on those guys. I, I look well beyond those guys. I, but I do think, I think we said this last week, I do think Hugh Freeze and Jimbo Fisher are two of the most important figures in this conference this year for reasons I just detailed. Next up, now this is kind of a spider web, so follow me. Football in the Boot hit us up and said, what if... Ohio State loses to Notre Dame and Penn State, but they beat Michigan at the end of the year and win the Big Ten. So here's what this picture would look like. Ohio State's 11-2, and two, and they're a conference champ. Michigan is 11-1, but they lost to Ohio State. Penn State is 11-1, but they lost to Michigan. 
I don't even pretend to know what the Big Ten tiebreaker is, but I'm going to take his word for it, that Ohio State, because of the tiebreaker, and because only one of those two losses is a conference game, Ohio State goes to the Big Ten title game. They win it. So the conference champs got two losses. There's no way Michigan's going to the playoff with a loss if that loss is to Ohio State. Their schedule's garbage otherwise. And Penn State, being 11-1 and with a loss to Michigan, means they beat Ohio State on the road in Columbus. I think Penn State may make the playoff. If that were to hold, I think Penn State may make the playoff, which will be sweet redemption for them because a handful of Penn State fans, and by that I mean a majority of the fan base, still think they got screwed in 2016 when Ohio State, I think it was 2016 when Ohio State went over them. Uh, This would be of maximum impact to James Franklin. Look, really, whether the guy goes to the playoff or not, he goes 11-1 and this year, and he beats Ohio State and Columbus. That's a really big deal. And if he goes 11-1, and chances are he's in the playoff, I think. And also Ryan Day. Now, you want to talk about fun. You want to talk about the time in the show that we should bring the alien down here. We teleport the alien down here, and he's like, good to see you. And we say, hey, no time to talk. Welcome back. So this, this guy here, Ryan Day, he's won more games than like anyone out there, this side of smart and saving. But people are putting him on the hot seat. Uh, that question is translated to, what kind of people? Casuals. And I don't have time to explain what that is to you, alien, but you need to know what they demanded of him is he not lose to Michigan again. And look at the, look at the result over there. He beat Michigan, but he didn't beat Marcus Freeman. He didn't beat James Franklin, but... He won the Big Ten championship, so I'm told the guy needs to win the Big Ten. He needs to beat Michigan in the process. He did both of those things, but he lost two games. What do we think about it, Alien? And the Alien looks as confused as I would look and as confused as many of you would look. What is our reaction there? Loses two games, but does the, both the things you claim he needs to do, but doesn't probably make the playoff. Mm, mm, mm. You're talking about therapy sessions in the Buckeye State. I guess it would come down to... I don't know what it would come down to, actually. So let's just wait and see if it happens. Now, oh, by the way, if you actually predict that to happen and it comes to fruition, I'm sending you a chalice of supremacy. Next up, this would be a disaster. This would be, this would be a crisis, the likes of which they haven't seen in the South in a long, long time. <sighs> don't freak out. It's just a what if. What if no SEC team makes the playoff? They would have to shut the South down until they got the National Guard in here. They would just have to shut the South down if that happened. It's never happened. I don't think it ever will happen. Certainly it won't happen in the expanded playoff era. But if the four-team playoff era goes out with the bang of locking the SEC out and bolting the door, you would have a strength of schedule fight in this sport like you've never seen before. Because I don't care if they totally cannibalize themselves. There's going to be at least one SEC team that thinks they're one of the best four and most deserving four in the country. And if the committee doesn't agree, the argument is going to be, we beat ourselves up. Now, the Pac-12 gets to make that argument this year, but no one will care. A lot of good teams out there. None of them may escape with fewer than one or two losses. But when the SEC makes that argument, you know, as well as I know, that gets benefit of the doubt. And I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because I make the argument on this show. And I would probably make the argument again. Like if LSU wins the SEC with two losses and they're not in the college football playoff, I'd probably have a, I imagine I'd have a strong take on it. I would have to see the surroundings, but I imagine I would have a pretty strong take on that. They, uh, I looked this up today. 
We've had nine years of playoffs. You know how many SEC teams we've had in there? We've had 14 of them in nine years. Stats and info's on vacation, so I had to look it up myself. I hope it's right. Uh, there's obviously been some years where we had two of them. So none? None? What a crisis. I think a lot more people would embrace the expanded playoff. Not me necessarily, but maybe some holdouts in the South would embrace the expanded playoff. And last up tonight in the what if department. We're getting very geographical here. Keegan said, no one has the courage to ask, what if Drew Aller is the best quarterback on the east side of the Mississippi River? I'm giving you guys time to pull up Google Maps. You should have this memorized like I did by kindergarten, but if you don't, the Mississippi, it's a pretty famous river. Uh, Charlie Pride has a really, really good song about the Mississippi River. I encourage all of you to look it up after the show. In the meantime, I want to remind you, Jaden Daniels, by inches, is east of the Mississippi River. Jordan Travis at Florida State, he's east of the Mississippi. Drake May, North Carolina. J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. Sam Hartman at Notre Dame. All these guys are east of the Mississippi. And our guy Keegan just pulls the pin on the grenade and tosses it in and says, nah, Drew Aller, first year starting, going to be better than all of them. Now, I think he's a really good player. Well, I think he's going to be a really good player. He hasn't had the chance to prove that to you yet. I think he will be. This is lofty, though. Very lofty. So what if that happens, since that's the game we're playing? Well, Penn State's going to the playoff if that happens. I don't have much doubt about that, because there's really not much else on that team that would keep them out of that. I mean, also, remember this now. If that guy really is the best quarterback east of the Mississippi this year, there's the rare pin pop, east of the Mississippi this year, well, Michigan's got to go in there with a guy who is runner-up to Drew Aller in this scenario. Uh, he is going to go into Columbus, Ohio, and be the best quarterback on the field that day. They got a really good defense. They got horses in the backfield at running back. I think this would mean that wide receiver worked out okay for him. I have less than, I'm going to say less than zero. I got almost zero questions about their offensive line. They're going to be a playoff team. I don't know what else to tell you. In fact, Oller doesn't even have to be quite the best. Oller could play just really good football this year. And they could push for a playoff spot. They're going to be a really good team. I mean, we didn't, we didn't just waste time going up there and doing an entire live show from James Franklin's balcony for them to go seven and six. All due respect to seven win teams out there, but there's a reason that there's a reason we went up there. And so, yeah, I think Penn State would win the Big Ten there. You know what this show is brought to you courtesy of Academy Sports and Outdoors. We are here because of them. We appreciate them immensely. They make the show free to you. Now, I know you may think, oh, it's on YouTube. It would be free regardless. Well, if I were doing it in my basement, that's true. But these lights cost a lot of money. This studio is 14 stories above downtown Nashville. You know what this space would go for? And instead, Academy Sports and Outdoors says, nope, they're with us. We got them. And so here we are. And you ain't got to pay a dime. I would just appreciate you subscribing to the channel. But otherwise, you don't have to do anything. Academy Sports and Outdoors also with a lot of important equipment this time of year. Those Guardian caps that we've been talking to you about, we've gotten a lot of good feedback. So I had a coach the other day that ordered, I don't know how many of them for his team. I think they had used like an offshoot of them, but they ordered Guardian caps. Well, because Guardian caps are exclusively available at Academy right now. And if you can't get to Academy Sports and Outdoors, academy.com. And if you can't watch on YouTube right now, it's basically like really, really fancy 
well-designed looking bubble wrap for the helmet, but it doesn't pop when you hit it. It just condenses the impact and it also cools you off considerably. So it's all the pluses, none of the negatives. I would suggest you guys purchase that, but I would also suggest go buy a hockey stick. It'll get cold eventually. Go buy your basketball hoop. That's like any time of year. Go buy a kayak. They got all kinds of stuff at Academy and they got our back and they bring us to you free of charge and we appreciate it. Always have and always will. And academy.com is where to go if you can't get there in person. I got to tell you, Bradley the Associate, who has jumped into the producer's chair tonight, two segments down so far, uh, Bradley just asks that you like the video. If you approve of the job he's doing, like the video. You know, if this video and this show were to tank tonight, I was ready to take absolutely no blame for it. But it's going good so far, so I would like a little credit. What do you think about Mike Norvell, head coach at Florida State? Was it Memphis? I'm not going to call him polarizing. I will say a lot of people's opinions have shifted on him. How hard have they shifted, though? So that, that I think, is what I want to lead with. I asked the question earlier today. Got a lot of responses. And um, got a lot of Dan Mullen comparisons, by the way. Is this popular? Have I missed this? I admit sometimes I can, I can box myself in a little bit. I don't listen to a lot of outside noise. I did not know that the Mike Norvell-Dan Mullen comparison was out there. And by that, people apparently, according to my DMs and mentions, mean he is good coach. Um, he, he's, he's a builder. He's a guy who can every now and then probably flash a 10-win season on you. He's a grinder. But is he ultimately going to build something elite? No, he's not. Now, that's your take. The whole point of this is to gauge the general mood towards a coach. Oh, that was interesting. I can, I can get it, but the body of work's not there yet. I still think a lot of Mike Norvell's book is still unwritten. So I think what we need to be careful of, or I'll, I'll tell you where my mind's at, and you can tell me if you agree with me. I'm trying to be careful not to talk as if Mike Norvell has arrived. So just because the heat is off of him, which I thought was a little bit undue heat, but just because the heat's off of him, it doesn't mean we've swung the pendulum all the way over to, okay, and now this guy's arrived. He hasn't arrived. He hasn't arrived because they haven't done anything of national note down there yet. He just won 10 games last year, and they finished really strong, and so there's no heat on him. But that, you know as well as I do, that heat would pop right back up. The stove top would be hot to the touch, if they were to start two and two this year, a scenario we went over the other night, by the way. So they muted a lot of doubters. They muted some haters. I read a book one time that says, just because you throw the haters out the window, it doesn't mean they're not down in the parking lot doing push-ups. They're never really gone, are they? So yeah, we got all that to worry about. And I've tried to take a very, very responsible, narrow, you know, not narrow-minded, that's the wrong verbiage, but I've tried to be very specific with how we've talked about Norvell on the show. Because I think this season tells so much about Mike Norvell. I look at recruiting uh, because talent acquisition is largely the name of the game. Those are the guys you play with. And they've been so consistent in recruiting. You look at the past four cycles, they finished anywhere from 19th, or they finished anywhere from 17th to 26th, I think it was, or 19, 20, 23, 22. So that's where they finished. I don't really care about the number of commits they have. I care about where they actually ranked. And so the transfer portal has really been where they've, they've made their hay. I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever said that on the show. But Mima, you say it all the time. So that's where they made their hay so far. 
Um, is that a sustainable approach, number one? Number two, are they Michigan? That's really what we have to find out this year. Michigan is a team that does not recruit top five classes. Well, they haven't. I think they're recruiting really well right now, actually. But they are, they are peaking in recruiting right now. They're doing more than they've ever done. To this point, Norvell and Florida State have floated in the anywhere from like the 17 to 25 range in recruiting. And then they supplement via the portal. And what they hope, even though their blue chip ratio would be lower than other teams in the playoff picture, is that they can develop and execute their way into the top four. Michigan's done that. Is Florida State Michigan? Is Mike Norvell sort of Jim Harbaugh South? They can be better either way. So even if they are that, there's no excuse to have to try and just out-develop and out-scheme folks when you're Florida State football. Because you should be a haven. You should be a destination for top-level talent. Why? Because you're Florida State football. That's why. I also have a theory, and I didn't know I was going to put it to the test today. But because I was looking at the comments and the replies here, um, it's time to. Do we have those two tweets, by the way? Because I don't want to just go into this blind. I want to actually show you. Mike Norvell's an attractive dude. I'm comfortable saying it because you said it. We had Steve hit us up and said, all the girls I went to Florida State with call him Coach Hottie. Didn't know that. Was unaware of it. But that wasn't even the only one of those we got. A number of you hit me up and said, in all honesty, like Stephen hit me and said, in all honesty, as a lifelong Florida State fan, he's made my wife as intent on watching the games as I have. It's not impossible to let go of attractive people. It's harder to let go of attractive people. So I'm going to say it right now. Good for Mike Norvell. Now, that doesn't mean that eventually you don't have to get the job done. But I am, I'm a firm believer that attractive people in life get benefit of the doubt. And so I think he's working with benefit of the doubt that, frankly, I did not know he had because I had not looked at Mike Norvell in that way yet. But now we all have, and I think we're all better for it. So the general summary I get is almost no one hates Mike Norvell. And if you do, I don't know, it's probably because he stole your lunch money when you were a kid. So I got like, I got everyone across the board saying, good offensive mind, a good program builder, don't have a strong opinion, don't, don't hate him at all. Just I don't quite know if he's that guy yet. I think that's fair. I think when we looked at our responses for Norvell, aside from the fringe, you know, Kane Gator sectors, I thought it was pretty reasonable. And so it's possible. Now, here's where I also wonder about it's It's possible that the expectation bullseye has missed him every year. So Mike Norvell, when he got there, Everyone said, okay, he needs to immediately turn it around. And so the expectation bullseye was eight or nine wins, and you fall short of that. And then the expectation bullseye is a little bit lower, and then he exceeds it last year. Well, now the expectation bullseye is ACC champion, college football playoff challenger. Well, they may not be that good this year. What if, what if th their result is nine wins this year? It'd be a pretty good year. People would say he fell short of expectation. The under would hit on the Vegas win total if they win nine games this year. So it, there's a distinct possibility that Norvell's just one of those dudes that you can never nail down. Uh, you can never in any given year feel like you fully know where they are. I know where you're watching us, though. You're watching us in Portland, Maine. They're watching us in Eastern Shore, Virginia. They're watching us in Brisbane, Australia. Thank you so much, wherever you are. Uh... Hey, compliments in the live chat. I'll always take them. Last Sunrise. Is that his real name? Colin, check and see if that's that guy's real name. We appreciate you guys being tuned in live. Live viewership 
is about to be incentivized around here. I can't tell you until August what it is. Keep watching live, but I'm going to have some stuff for you in August. I'm very excited about it. Very ex- I've always wanted to do what I'm going to be able to do in August, so stay tuned. First sip of the night from the chalice 36 minutes into the show. You want to do some bold predictions? Yeah, I do too. <clears throat> bold predictions are on chapter 21 tonight. These are the things you believe, so much so that you went to all the trouble of sending them to me. First up, oh, I love this one, man. This one we got to take some time on. How familiar are you with the SEC West? So Lucas is from Auburn, Georgia. He says, Mississippi State finishes fourth or better in the SEC West. Fourth or better. Now, I have found, and I do some radio in Jackson, I have found that Mississippi State is the classic convo booby trap team. Because anytime you're talking about them, especially if you know the SEC, you're very tempted to say Mississippi State is a sleeper team. And they are. But the problem is, anyone worth their salt who's ever been on the debate stage is going to come back and say, all right, well, who are they finishing in front of? And you just sit there. Because you know, if you know the SEC West, there are several teams here that could finish anywhere from two to seven because there's a lot of there are a lot of competitive balance past the surface I guess is the best way to say that and look Alabama and LSU aren't immune to being clipped this year either they got a roster full of guys who have played a lot of football Mississippi State has a roster full of grown men and if you don't believe me or you think that's just an old Mississippi cliche let me read you their projected starting defense right now. Senior, 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 junior, junior. It gets better on offense, kids. On offense, projected starters for Mississippi State this year. Senior, 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 junior. 19 of their projected 22 starters are seniors. They've been around forever. This is like Brigham Young. Only they haven't gone on the mission, but they've got all the age about them. It's like a bunch of Sean Clifford's running around out there with about four more inches and about 30 or 40 more pounds on them and can run a tenth of a second or two slower or faster in the 40. Um, That's the kind of team that exceeds expectation, especially when one of those returning veterans is Will Rogers, who has already set a bunch of records passing in the SEC, and he's got another year to play. So Mississippi State finishing fourth or better. I'm calling this an eight on the boldness scale. I don't think it's incredibly bold. I think it could actually happen. So the question is, who would they finish in front of? Because you got to pick three of them that they finish in front of. I could see them finishing in front of Ole Miss. I could see them finishing in front of Arkansas. I could see them finishing in front of Auburn. This is certainly not our official prediction show. So don't quote me on this, please. But if you were telling me you see a world where that happens, I do too. I also see that world. And so Mississippi State is a team we're not done talking about. We're just done talking about them tonight. Next up, this is a really, really well-worded, bold prediction here. All of them are good tonight. JR said, a Big Ten player wins the Heisman. Where does your mind immediately go, by the way, if you're locked in on the odds market? Where does your mind go? Mine went to Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, by the way, when that hit happened in the Georgia game, I'm standing right there. I, I saw that replay the other day, and I had forgotten. I was close enough to feel the concussion of the impact off of that, 
And I don't mean concussion as in what you get via head injury. I mean, if you're close enough to a big hit, it's like a shotgun blast. And I get to be on the sideline a lot, so I feel him sometimes. And there was one off that hit. Brutal. Uh, He's back this year. Marvin Harrison Jr. would actually be the guy I think wins it out of the Big Ten if a Big Ten player wins it. Now, I know J.J. McCarthy has better odds. I could just never see Michigan implementing a style of play that is conducive to him putting up Caleb Williams' passing numbers, nor do they need to. So that's not a slight against them. So I think it'd be Marv. And then behind him, I could see a year where Blake Corum, you know, let's, let's just say we don't want this to happen, but let's say Donovan Edwards was slowed for some reason, and it shifted a bulk of the carries to Blake Corum instead of them splitting at 60-40. I could see him rocketing up the, uh, the Heisman board there. But if it happens, I think it would be Marvin Harrison Jr. that does it. I think it's an 8.75 on the boldness scale that a Big Ten player wins the Heisman. Because we all know you got to overcome Caleb Williams out there. Quite frankly, you got to overcome a number of quarterbacks. You got May down there at North Carolina. I'm a big Bo Nix guy this year, as you'll see down the road. And uh, that's not all of it. I didn't mention Quinn Ewers at Texas. I don't know if you've heard, but they're back this year. So that's a good one. Now, this next one's even better. And this next one, I'll just get the rating out of the way. This is a 9.25 on my boldness scale. But I love it, Jordan. Jordan said, UCF will have the best record of all the Florida Power 5 teams this year. Will they now? Will they? That's from St. Cloud, Florida, by the way. Uh, this, This is a quintessential bold prediction. This right here is how I wish they were all worded. So here's what the odds market says. All right, so it, for those of you not keeping track at home, by the way, Central Florida's in the Big 12 now. So they're a Power 5 team. Okay, so Florida State's got an over-under win total of 9.5. Miami is 7.5. UCF is 7. And Florida's 5.5. And, and he's telling me Central Florida has more wins than any of them. My best guess here is what you have to have is Florida State hit their under and probably win eight games. You probably can't have them winning more than eight games because I think the best, I don't want to shortchange Gus Malzahn, uh, but I think the best you could reasonably hope to do if you overachieve or exceed expectation this year, if you're UCF, is you win nine games because you're joining a power five conference. And I know that you guys out there, some of you don't think all that highly of the big 12, the caliber of athlete on the line of scrimmage week over week continues to be at a little bit higher level than what you played in a G5 conference. And it takes its toll. It takes its toll on random Saturdays. Sometimes you're even favored in the games, and all of a sudden, you just get blown off the ball, and you have no idea what's happening. Well, what's happening is the cumulative effect of playing bigger, stronger, faster players on the lines of scrimmage. You didn't used to face that. You hadn't recruited to play it, and now you got to play it. So nine wins would be a really good year for them this year. So you probably need Miami to just be seven wins or no better. You probably need Florida State. That's the one that could get in your way. You need them to be around eight wins. I think they could see a nine-win season. They could. Uh, and then Florida, I mean, the reason I'm not mentioning them, well, obviously, if you watch the show or you read the comments, it's because I hate Florida. Uh, more realistically, though, it's just because their win total is five and a half. So they would be the third team that I would mention in this scenario. Uh, good, good for Florida. If they're up there with nine, ten wins, good for Florida. I would put like an L of shame on my forehead and happily paint it orange and blue, blue and orange, whichever color combo you guys want, if Florida won nine or ten games. Go ahead and bookmark it. Go ahead and clip it. I don't care. 
Um, this is a 9.25 though. Tough task, not impossible, pretty tough task. Last up, Ghost from Pleasant Grove, Utah said the state of Oregon will produce a college football playoff team, which I think the sport is ready for. And you got two shots out there. And Oregon State has the, let's see, I'm going to get it right. So Oregon's got the 12th best odds to make the playoff in the country. Oregon State has the 22nd best odds to make the playoff in the country. So it's not crazy, especially with Oregon, not crazy. Top 12, hey, um, you know, that, that would be good to make the playoff next year, I guess. Can you imagine the Civil War, which they changed the name of for ridiculous purposes up there, but I'm still calling it the Civil War. Can you imagine the Civil War, which is their rivalry game, the last week of the season on a Friday, no less? If this were on the line, now here's the other thing I want to know. In this scenario, are both of them good? Like are both of them up there, 10 wins, 11 wins, and they're playing for a shot in the Pac-12 championship game? Or is it, is it Oregon flying high and Oregon State's looking to play spoiler or vice versa? Man, if you could give me that, if you could give me both of them with one or fewer losses going into the Civil War game, number one, must see TV. Number two, remember how the Pac-12 is structured now. You just take the best two teams. So everyone's out here talking about in the future, what happens if Michigan and Ohio State have to play two weeks in a row? Uh, hey, friends, what if Oregon and Oregon State do it this year? Hmm? What happens there? Well, what happens is they go do it again. They just do it in Las Vegas. But in the meantime, what has DJ Uyangalale gotten himself into if this comes to fruition this year? What has our guy our quarterback, Bo Nix, had an offer from Pate State, chose to go elsewhere. No hard feelings. Could be real fun. Now, what is the rating on this? It's a nine. It's a nine only because it's hard to make the playoff. And neither one of these are top 10 odds teams, but I'll tell you, this is a very, very big sneak peek. So I'm not ready to pull the curtain up yet. But the model spat out some early data. Yes, it did. And the model is very high on a team. And that team is one that we just talked about. And the colors include yellow and green. I don't want to get too specific and give it away. The model thinks that, the model looks at Oregon as the Texas of the Pacific Northwest this year. I'll just put it to you like that. So the model thinks that they could probably compete in the AFC West this year. So if you're a fan of the model, it's going to be a good year for Oregon. I'm not putting the number out there quite yet. Let's move it on. Love the live viewership we have tonight. You know, by the way, um, I don't know if I told you this. I told you I was going to Big Ten Media Days this week, but we're going to have a live show from Indianapolis uh, Thursday. And we're going to have coaches on the show this week. And I have not seen who we have yet, but it, it could be very fun. Could be very fun. I'm talking about past the top layer. Like everyone knows Day, Harbaugh, Franklin, but past the top layer, are we going to have Mel Tucker on the show? Are we going to have Kirk Ferentz on the show? PJ Fleck? Like, are we going to have those guys on the show? I literally don't know. I just know it's a two-day affair instead of a four-day affair. And for that, I'm thankful, but it's not in Nashville. And for that, I say bring on Indianapolis because the last two times I went up there, I loved it. The Ursay YMCA right there in the downtown area. I look forward to the gems, by the way. Everyone else looks forward to the bar scene. I couldn't care less about it. You give me St. Elmo's, you give me Prime, and you give me the Ursay YMCA, and I'm fine. 
All right, let me get one more sip of the chalice. It's time to spotlight a team that I wanted to get to like three weeks ago and stuff kept coming up. Who do you think it is? I think I already gave it away. South Carolina is a team I want to spotlight here. It's our own little mini preview magazine. Biggest questions. Uh, the position group I think is the best. Also, breakout player and the schedule. The biggest question with this team for me is actually run defense. Oh, they've been bad, and they've been bad for a while there. And you cannot continue to elevate if you don't get better here. I was reading, I can't remember which magazine it was. I actually got a magazine in the office now. Uh, they've been in the bottom third of the SEC for several years. I knew it was bad. Statistically, I didn't know it was that bad. Uh, they just get blown off the ball, man. Like, they cannot get off the field. Uh, they cannot, therefore, control games. If you cannot stop the run, you cannot control games. That's the long and short of it. So they got to get better there. And there's really no way even for South Carolina fans that I've talked to, to fully gauge how good they're going to be because there's so many new pieces. Like you're hopeful, you're glass half full on every one of them, but it's not like you have your entire front seven returning or, or you got four veterans along the defensive front. It's, it's a bunch of guys that are going to be wearing your jersey this year, so you'll cheer them on. You don't have any idea how they're going to perform. That's part one. Part two, now I want to hit the rewind button right quick, and I want you to go back with me to the Florida game last year. Zero offensive points. Then the next week, they hang 60-plus on Tennessee. And then they scored a lot on Notre Dame in the bowl game. And they, oh, by the way, they beat Clemson, too. Let's not overlook that. The offense just completely looked different, uh, night and day different. We had Spencer Rattler in our CBS room at SEC Media Days. And Dennis was the one talking to him. Uncle Dennis to me. Dennis Dodd to you. And Spencer Rattler, in a very diplomatic way, said what a lot of people know. And that is play calling duties changed between that Florida game and that Tennessee game. Now, how he phrased it is, well, we had too many looks, too, too many different shifts, too many different formations. We filtered it out. We simplified it. Yeah, they did all that. They did all that. And then it came out of a different mouth the next week, too. Now, that's great short term. But then long term, you get to the end of the year. And instead of celebrating an offseason like casuals would do, you say, we got to go hire an offensive coordinator. And they went and hired Dowell Logans. You see him on the screen right now. He came from Arkansas. And, uh, you know, you can talk all you want about pro-style, balanced approach, and everything like that. You've got a really good quarterback there in Spencer Rattler. You probably have an underrated wide receiver room. you got a really underrated tight end room nationally. I have no clue whether, they're gonna be under, whether they'll be able to run the ball effectively enough to call themselves balanced. Stopping the run, running the ball. Paul would tell you, and I don't really care if it's your Paul or mine, you got to be able to do those things to win football games in any conference, especially the SEC. And the fact that those are two big questions for this team right now, it doesn't mean red flag. It just means red sharpie circle those portions. Because my second question is, was the late 2022 offensive explosion just a mirage? Or is that legitimately what I could expect from them this fall? Third question. This is pretty, pretty overarching. Big question for South Carolina right now. Is good enough enough for you? So shows like this will pat you on the head because you won seven games and you won eight games. But that's just because you did more than people expected from you. That should never be your standard. It should piss you off a little bit, actually, when people are satisfied and happy that you won eight games. Because you shouldn't look at yourself that way. You shouldn't say they don't expect as much from us as they do from Georgia. So eight wins is okay here. Good enough is enough. Uh, that is a cancerous mentality. 
good enough is never enough. South Carolina's been good enough. They play a nightmarishly difficult schedule every year. And so I will continue to sit here because I don't, I don't coach there or play there or work there. I will tell you, eight wins was phenomenal last year. But man, you better not be thinking that if you're Trey Knox. I mean, you better not be thinking that if you're, I mean, if you're Xavier Leggett, if you're Shane Beamer, you, may, you better not be thinking that. And it permeates. Because this is the second year in a row now where there's, there's a lot of hype around the program, which there always should be. But it's the second year in a row where you had a little bit of overachievement. And if you don't make sure that you lock the door behind you, some of those accolades spill into the psyche of the team. I think they're very good at guarding against this. So I'm not telling you this is a big concern of mine. I'm just, I'm questioning openly, which is what we do in July. I wonder if good enough is enough over there. You kind of crest and all right, we'll fly here. We'll be happy to fly here. Don't fly there, man. Like go, go ruin people's parties. That's what you should be doing. The breakout player. Actually, let's do position group first. I was over on the big spur today which is the premier South Carolina fan site on the internet for my money, even though I don't have to pay because I work here, but I would. I used to pay before I worked here. I think safety or wide receiver, and I was talking to the folks over there on the board, I think safety or wide receiver is probably the best position group here. I'm going to go defensive back, though, because uh, I wanted to zoom it out a little bit because they got four South Carolina natives at safety and corner, and specifically at safety, DQ Smith, that's a good player, man. Nick Amonwari is a good player, and neither one of them are seniors. They're both sophomores, but they both have starting experience. And they're both, they're both capable of playing at all conference levels. And so that's on the back end. But also, Marcellus Dial, O'Donnell Fortune at corner, those are all South Carolina guys. And I don't know how to quantify what that means. I don't know how valuable that is. I just know when you can get talented guys in that room, all in the same room, and they're all from the state, in which they play, it's never a bad thing. Wide receiver I could have also gone with here, but I'm going to go safety, zoom it out a little bit, and go defensive back because I wanted to save wide receiver for breakout player. I think Xavier Leggett is in a good position to be a breakout player for them this year. You don't bother searching him on the stat sheet. You're not going to find him. He has not burst onto the radar screen in any shape, form, or fashion. I think there is a lot of legitimacy to thinking they'll be more explosive this year. If that run game is average or worse, they'll obviously have to throw the ball a lot more maybe even than they like. Defenses will key on Juice Wells. Juice Wells is a 1,000-plus yard lock at receiver if he's healthy. And then I got this guy sitting behind him. They're good at tight end. They're deep at tight end. And you got Juice Wells there as wide receiver one. And Xavier Leggett is 6'3", 220. Former four-star guy in the 2019 cycle. He's been around a long time. And if he's ever going to pop, this is the year he pops. I could go Trey Knox at tight end, uh, but we've, we've watched Trey Knox do it before, just at a different program at Arkansas. I think Xavier Leggett's the guy that probably pops for them this year. The schedule is the schedule. There's no way to sugarcoat it. They play an SEC schedule, and they play the number one and number three preseason teams from the ACC. It would be perfectly excusable if South Carolina just loaded up on cream puffs out of conference. But they don't. They play North Carolina right out of the gate in Charlotte. They go to Georgia two weeks later. They go to Tennessee two weeks after that. Do you realize they will have played in Athens and Knoxville before October? So you can get you some of that. But you can also rest assured at the end of the year that if you have made it even relatively unscathed, if you're just still on both legs, 
Check out November. If you're listening on podcast, imagine a world where you never leave home in November. You play Jacksonville State at home. You play Vandy at home. You play Kentucky at home. And then Clemson has to come to you because you play them at home and you beat them in their building last year. How much can you make November matter? That's got to be what you're thinking about over there. Because those are, those are three what you would call very winnable games. And then you've got a rivalry game that anything can happen in. Because as our folks on the solid verbal will always tell us, you throw the records out the window in a rivalry game. <laughs> always been a solid verbal guy. Um, so, yeah. Jacksonville State, Vandy, Kentucky, Clemson. Nice November. You got to get there above 500 to make it really, really mean what it could mean. It's not an easy job. Not an easy job, but they got the right guy. Talked to Shane Beamer for a little while over at Media Days the other day. Really, really good dude. I think he's kind of like Mark Norvell. No one really dislikes Shane Beamer, or at least I haven't picked up on it. I don't know. I've, I've had some people question the authenticity, but we see this sometimes. Like, when a guy is overly energetic, when he looks like he's just, he just mainlining coffee right into his veins all the time, some people think that's inauthentic. Scott Cochran, former strength coach, now tight end guy at Alabama. If you don't know because you're not around those kind of people, you may think that's inauthentic. No, it's really them. They're just way different than you. That's why they have 1% jobs instead of 99% jobs because it takes a 1%er to be the head coach of South Carolina. And so an outsider may look and say, oh, he just doesn't seem authentic. He doesn't seem like your neighbor, George, because he's not George. George would not be, all due respect to George, great guy. George wouldn't be the head coach of a major college football program. So Shane Beamer is, and I'm glad he is because he's a really good dude. All right, Bradley, I got to tell you, you did not do bad tonight. You did not do bad at all. Producer Jesse is off in Albania, and that's not a joke. He's really in Albania, had the audacity to take vacation on us. For a good cause, but it's vacation nonetheless. And so Bradley, the associate, stepped up tonight and he produced a show and I helped him a lot, but he produced the show and produced it admirably tonight. Bradley used to work at WLTZ down in Columbus when I was there. So Bradley has seen this show when we were happy to have 20 viewers. And now Bradley is up here in Nashville working for this show and actually got to produce one tonight. So do me a favor and clap for Bradley. We don't have a studio audience yet. But clap for Bradley, and, and I'll, I'll do the same. There we go. Jesse, yeah, go ahead and come back if you want, but I think we're good either way. So for temporary producer Bradley, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching us tonight. We got Lake Kick Extra coming this way this week. We got Lake Kick Live from Indianapolis on Thursday. Following on the socials, at Lake Kick Josh, because there's a lot of behind-the-scenes content coming to you this week as well. No off-season. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless you.